0: discussing network hello everyone and welcome to discussing trek where we talk about all things trek and more today we're here to discuss season three episode five of star trek discovery die trying like always on the show i'm joined by my fellow co-host slash trekkies starting with none other than jonathan shorts how you doing man
1: i'm doing good man doing good i uh... Just had a small procedure done, uh microflabectomy, I think how you say it. They remove veins out of my leg. So I had the pleasure of being home for three days to and not able to move, so I watched a lot of TV.
0: Oh well hopefully a good percentage of that is Star Trek, I'd hope. Uh i honestly know the shame the shame <laughs> the shame
1: but i did watch this episode we're going to talk about and as always i loved it so can't wait to talk about it
0: awesome sauce also on the podcast from the ready room studios we have jeremy borrow how you doing man
2: i'm doing good i'm excited to talk about this episode there's some good things going on here
0: Oh, is this just not a stepping stone to the next episode again? <laughs> no, actually, no.
2: No, this, I have a much different view on this episode than the previous two, which I'm sure we'll get into greater detail later.
0: All right. And also on the
3: podcast, we have Kyle Jones. How are you doing, dude? You know what? I'm glad to be here, and I'll keep the positivity train going and say, I enjoyed this, and I'm happy to be here and ready to talk about it. Awesome sauce. Well, how about you? How are you? Yeah, I'm
0: doing great, man. I'm doing great. As always, you know, glad to be on with you guys talking about Trek. So, yeah, I am doing good and uh ready to dive into this episode. So you can support the show by subscribing, leaving a review or telling a friend if you have a review idea. Send that along in with anything else you want us to know to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. So we are ready to dive right into our review of Star Trek Discovery. Die. Trying. Night Trying is a fifth episode of season three of Star Trek Discovery. It aired on November the 12th, 2020, and it was erected by Maja Varillo, who also directed last season's Perpetual Infinity. The story is written by James Duff and Sean Cochran. After uniting with what remains of Starfeet in the Federation, the USS Discovery and its crew must prove that a 930-year-old crew and starship are exactly what this new future needs. Spoil us. Read alert. All hands stand the battle stations. i give you the right to cannot destroy an undeemon. At ease before you spray something. And like always I'm point to cow Jones to give us the, the 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 beats of the episode in his own words.
3: All right. So last week I made a point of saying that I made this up on the fly and I'm going to go in the opposite direction this week because I wrote it down because this episode just felt like it needed to be written down. So you ready for this? Oh, boy. Yeah, let's have it. (laughs) All right, here we go. Welcome to the world of tomorrow where opening credits are always in flux. Respect my authority or blink and you're gone. Now, they're all dead, so head out the revolving door. Wow, I'm so confused. (laughs) It makes perfect sense to me. I am so confused right now. At the end of the podcast, we come back at the end, and I will tell you what each of these points mean.
0: I am certainly curious, and you got my mind jogged just a little
3: bit to think of what you what theories you've come up with in the Wait, past week. Can, can no theories, right. it's just uh, observations of the, the of the episode. Hmm. Jonathan?
1: Uh, well, I was, just, I was asking him if he didn't mind just saying that one more time for
3: us. Awesome. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Welcome to the world of tomorrow, where opening credits are always in flux. Respect my authority or blink and you're gone. Now they're all dead. So head out the revolving door.
0: Hmm, I did not pay attention to the opening credits this time.
3: So I'm curious. I'm definitely curious on what I missed. I want to know if this is speaking from
1: your perspective
3: or characters perspective. This is this is me watching the show and things that I noticed as points in the show. We're respecting your authority. No, not me. No, no, no. This is, <laughs> no, 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 no. This is just me making observations about the show in general. I'm loving this segment, man. I'm really loving this segment. Well, for a minute there, I thought it was you. Well, of course you threats. guys should respect my authority. Come on now. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs>
0: with that said, let's go around the horn and get everybody's high-level view of this episode. And Let's start with you, Jeremy. What do you think, sir?
2: I loved it. I absolutely loved it and I thought the last two episodes built up to this episode, which made it even better.
0: Awesome. Any high level takeaways? Um, not without spoilers. All right. All right. Fair enough. Jonathan, what do you think, man?
1: Absolutely amazing. From the first <laughs> from the first three minutes, there was so much to talk about and think about that I was overwhelmed. And I couldn't figure out how could how would I get through the rest of this episode with my brain already blown up over the walls?
3: Oh, man. Oh, man. Cal Jones. I don't think I can follow up with that. I think those two gentlemen there said it amazingly accurately. Well, so I have nothing else to say at this point. This was the, I other than I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. So many high level ideas that are thrown at us. In the first ten minutes of this episode, and then on top of that, I think we got a very good star Trek a solid Star Trek episode that kind of reminds me of a episode of Lord X, if I'm gonna wink at that real quick. Uh, uh. formulaular phasing a little bit in there, you know <laughs> but 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 uh, <laughs> but but overall, yeah, I really enjoyed this episode, enjoyed it even more the second time watching. you know, I was expecting questions to be answered. Unfortunately, fortunately, there were not more mysteries were presented. Um, I will say one of my theories on the burn got shot down in this episode, uh, wholeheartedly. So that was a little discouraging, but you know, you know, I think there's pretty, uh, uh, there's plenty of mysteries in tow to keep us going. And I'm sure we got some theories that we will dive into in this episode. So we start the episode with a captain's log. Jeremy, do you think they were just a bit too optimistic going in here looking for answers and solace
2: yes and no I think it's just the nature uh, I think it's their nature to be optimistic but they don't know how to they're, they're still learning how to react to this to the future they're in now so they don't know like optimism's all they have
0: yeah yeah and boy does Saru lay it on thick there at the very beginning um, any, anybody have thoughts on the, this initial captain's log and you know maybe some of the interaction between Burnham and Saru in the early minutes of this episode
1: uh perfect for me. I um although like this this first part was probably going a little bit ahead, but it was probably the only minor problem I had. And that problem was kind of alluding to what the question you led off with was like I, I think they're just it was uh, almost too gleeful for me. You know I, I I know they were excited, but it was like man, they were laying it on thick. they were it was <laughs> I'm like, it's,
0: come on, guys. <laughs> well, well let, let, let's we'll get into this this amazing introduction into the Federation headquarters. But but I'm uh, Kyle Jones, a little
3: bit too much uh, gleeful optimism going in there. No, because if you put yourself in their shoes and look at where they've come to, like Jeremy was saying, this is kind of building up the last couple of episodes to this point. I don't really think it was too much because again, put yourself in. In their shoes, they are seeing for the first time nine hundred years in the future, something that the four of us could not even comprehend what nine hundred years in our future would be like and I know we would be excited to see that, yeah, man. Well, let's get
0: into some of that amazement and wonder from the bridge crew there as they pass through that distortion field. so there's so much stuff I can reel off that was that happened in this. This scene, once they get to Federation slash Starfleet headquarters, but which are one entity now, but I'm going to open up to you guys, like point out the one thing out of all of this that jumped out the, at you the most. And I'm going to say more to Jeremy. Like, what, what did you think? Anything in this opening sequence, when we pass through that distortion field, get to Federation slash Starfleet headquarters, what jumped out at you the most as awe and amazing?
2: So I'm going to kind of surprise y'all. Because the first thing that I noticed and kind of impressed me as they were going through this distortion field, it reminded me of an old Voyager episode. I think it was like one of the first few where Janeway says there's copying that nebula and they try to go to the nebula, but it's like this living creature. And just that whole visual just reminded me of them going into this this living nebula.
3: Uh, Cal Jones, anything in his opening sequence that jumped out at you, man? Yeah, I like seeing the reference of Voyager, even if it's the 11th generation. I just like seeing Voyager, a version of Voyager.
0: <laughs> yeah, what what jumped out at me the most from that Voyager sequence, and we've got two beautiful shots of Voyager, by the way. I mean, dead right. there on the view screen. But out of all the ships, I never, you know, I mean, of course, we know, 1701, but I never really cared or even thought to know what the call sign was for for Voyager. I never really even looked it up or read it up until this episode because <laughs> no, that, that J was out there. Of course, the Voyager we see in the show is the first one. But man, it's kind of amazing to see what 10, 11 generations down the line. Um, This is what Voyager has become. Just awesome to see that, man.
3: Really awesome. Do you think that the reason that we didn't really care what the call sign was is because the look of Voyager was so distinct? Yeah, it was very different and then it was new. So maybe
0: yes. that just kind of went from our mind completely, because really, I don't really know what Discovery's call sign is. I think it's 13 something. I can't remember exactly. But, you know, it's the first. So, I mean, yeah, it never really entered or stuck with in my head um, what their call sign would be for Voyager. So,
1: you know what? So I'm going to throw an early theory out there. The uh, Nickelodeon series, what if that's based in the same timeline we're in now? That would be
0: amazing. <laughs> well, no, like, it can't can be because yeah, it's Janeway. Janeway.
2: Captain Janeway's coming back. So, I, I mean,
1: in this point, it could be a Janeway hologram. Well, I mean, yeah, we have, yeah. as we see further into it, we have holographic hulls, holographic everything. <laughs> right. So, I mean, this could be a hologram of Janeway on this new ship. That I would mean, be kind of
0: awesome now.
1: And, <laughs> I do figure there's a J at the end of it for Janeway, even though it's 11, but
0: you know. good call there, John. Good call. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to throw it to you, man. Anything in that opening sequence that jumped out at you, man? Absolutely. And I kind of don't want to take the thunder
1: from everybody because I know everybody's seen it. Uh, so I'll start with the lead, uh, not a least impressive thing was the first thing I noticed that was impressing me was the, um, uh, now, lost words, what they call it. The the field that they were generating to hide the fleet was being fed from the actual ships in the whatever they call it. Yeah, in the distortion field was it
0: was maintained yeah. by the ships. Yeah.
1: So that was pretty awesome. Uh but as uh and I think Jeremy already knows this, I thought he had thrown it out there already. <laughs> but we got a, a a quick glance at the USS Nog.
0: Yeah. Man, awesome tribute to Aaron Eisenberg. Yes.
1: And there was also, so I read this on cinemablend.com. They did an interview uh, with Alec Kirksman, and his quotes on that particular scene his quote was We promised to honor the legacy of both Nog and the late Aaron Eisenberg. And it seemed fitting to name a starship after a character who exemplified the possibility of resilience after a period of darkness. Hopefully, we'll see more of the USS Nog as it helps Starfleet build a brighter future.
0: Oh, that that sounds good. All the feels, man. <laughs> All yeah. the feels.
1: So that that was very awesome. That was awesome. Indeed. What about you? Anything jump out to you?
0: Oh, man, so many things. And on top of everything you guys mentioned, um, organic hulls, holographic containment walls, uh, a, a ship that could hold a complement of 2,000 detached nacelles, flying rainforests. Do not need to stop?
1: <laughs> and I'm with Tilly, like, and I guess because I'm a tricky, so much, I'm so much of a tricky. Like, the most amazing thing for me to see is detached the cells. Well, but it was a uh, detoner that actually knows that. Like, to me, that's mind blowing. Like, how is that possible? Like, your nacelles is fed off of the reward core. So that's awesome just to figure out that technology.
0: So moving right along. So the USS Discovery reports for duty and first thing I noticed is like the beaming animation when they beamed them over it wasn't like that protracted it was like a flicker like they were gone I thought that was freaking that was, cool
1: That was like the uh, personal transporters they were using we've seen yeah. in the
3: past few episodes Yeah,
0: yeah I noticed that too Yeah oh I, yeah I, I man it's just like the possibilities on the difference in technologies here is it seems like Discovery, the Discovery crew as well as us are going to be blown by it every turn of what we see. Um, So, yeah, I'm just
3: amped for that alone going forward, man. Yeah. But you know what I find interesting and to counter, not counter, but just add to what you just said, Clarence, it's interesting that as much advancement that they're showing us as an audience, they're also tempering that a little bit with look at the things now we can't do. You know, some of the things that was taken for granted as things that they could do in the other Star Trek versions of reality, they can't do. But yet they've got all this other stuff that the others didn't have because of the time that they can do.
0: That's a that's a crazy balance, to be honest. I mean, they have all this advanced technology, but yet they can't really go to warp consistently because of the lack of dilithium. You know, it's. Sort of, I guess, the story of where our Earth could possibly go in the future with
3: the lack of resources at some point. Or, yeah. you know, how we rely on all of our technology. And what is it? A, just a solar flare could knock all that out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But also, I think they bring something cool to the table as far as how they operate as a team being part of that component that might be missing as well uh, By the, by the time we get through this episode. So, Jonathan, what do you think of um, Admiral Vance, Commander-in-Chief Starfleet? He's one of those
1: characters that I think I will like on down the road, but I did not like him in this episode, and I think the writers meant for us not to really like him. Uh, he is very much opposite of any Starfleet admiral I would have expected them to meet. <sighs>
0: He was a bit of a ho, which is just saying.
1: <laughs> well, I was trying to be nice. <laughs> That's just but That being said, I think he's the perfect person to be in charge of Starfleet now in the current situation. Because, again, we go back to, you know, is Burnham going to be that person that Starfleet wants him to be? Or is it going to be the person that Discovery needs her to be? You know, which Burnham are you going to get? And we were discussing like what do we think she had to be to help him? And this admiral is kind of, I mean, he's still he's still Starfleet, yeah. But he also has that edge that we say we've seen in Burnham that we think will be helpful. Yeah. Although he's a little timid, I found.
0: Yeah, he he's portrayed by an actor named Ed Fur. Um, but but yeah, I I kind of equate him to. Captain Adoye from the Earth Federation United Defense People, whatever they think. Uh, he, he's operating on pins and needles in a sense. Um, slow to trust and they have their defenses up with good reason. But, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if he evolves any now that discovery is like a new factor in the equation. I'm really, I'm really interested to see where they go with him. Um, but yeah, I love the the portrayal from the actor there. Um, so so Jeremy, did you get the impression that that he and Cenatall may have had some type of relationship? It just didn't seem like it was on the surface as you know, uh, the normal professional relationship. I got a sense that maybe something else is going on there. Maybe I'm wrong. Help me out here. I didn't get that at all, actually. Really? Is that just yeah. me? Did anybody else?
1: Well, I mean, I. I get, I don't know what kind of relationship <laughs> you would be referring to. <laughs> so like a romantic relationship. No, okay. but I do get that. Maybe they were really good friends or even maybe family.
3: Oh, nice. Hmm. Mm. So I didn't get the family aspect, but I did get the, I know you, but I mean, I know I knew you, but I don't know you as you are now. Right. Uh-huh. You've got to re, you know, re-earn my trust.
1: But, I mean, it could go back to, and again, I always relate back to DS9, but, you know, the relationship between Cisco and Dax and through three hosts, I mean, they were like Cisco and uh, Curzon were like the best of friends. Curzon was like his mentor. But, I mean, throughout the show, they were like the best of friends. Like, and it went beyond duty and Starfleet and jobs, like, and that, I mean, it wasn't, it was never a romantic relationship, but I mean, it was just a, the closest friendship you could have. And I kind of probably would get that from cetal and this guy.
0: Yeah, it, it kind of makes me want, um, Adora, Adira Tall to have that kind of stoic, um, performance that, that, uh, that Zia has at times. You know, she, she sometimes embodied that, uh, Curzon within her and, so far we're not really getting that from Adira, but you know she just got her memories back. So hopefully that's something that we'll see going forward from her um because right now I just I just want to see that that dynamic come into play a little bit more with her later. So
3: so Kyle, what did you think of Lieutenant Willow? So you know how you guys were describing the character of the Admiral? Mm-hmm. That's how I would have described <laughs> the, the character of the uh Willow. That that's it in a nutshell. But I think she served a purpose for the story and she met that you know, she met the purpose and met the purpose well. So uh I don't think you were supposed to like her just like you guys were saying about the other character. And I didn't like her, but I understood what her purpose was. You know, I'm gonna say
1: I liked her, and this is a weird reason why Clarence will get this. So also what I've been watching since I hadn't been watching trick much is I've been binging the Expanse (sighs) and Willow reminds me a lot of Gunny, the Martian soldier, Gunny, Gunny, uh, Daper. Yeah,
0: I can see that. I can see that.
1: Yeah. Like just, just the way she carried it. So she was very military, very to the point, very, I'm serving my, I'm doing my duty. Like, that's just what I kept seeing. And I, it's like one of my favorite characters on The Expanse right now. So I liked her.
0: Yeah, she reminded me. And I know she reminded me of Michelle Rodriguez in a lot of ways, just the way she her nuances and, and stuff. So that's why I liked her. I, I knew that she had that tough exterior, but given the right situation, that barrier would be broken down. So right. for, for that reason, for that reason, I, I really did like the character you know we get to see her have somewhat of some lighthearted moments later in the episode with uh um Reno Stamitz and Tilly at the end but but yeah I, I like the character all I want to see more of her as well since <clears throat> another character's <laughs> gone um so so um Jeremy we found out yes. a lot of things about federation we know there we're down to 38 federation wor- worlds excuse me down from a peak a peak of three fifty, and we find out that Kaminar, as well as with Barzan, is part of the Federation. Any thoughts on this um, development? Since basically in all of the other Star Trek sh- shows, we hear nothing of the Kaminar people. Eh,
2: any thoughts on that? Um, I would like to see more of them. You know, I don't know. One the one thing that uh, that I kind of get miffed at with with Star Trek is that we don't get to see a whole lot of the alien, alien uh, federation members just in passing. And they're, they're rarely ever steady main characters. And so I would like to see them, you know, and bring a lot more of them to the forefront and, you know, more regular. So, you know, this, this hopefully provide them with a good opportunity to do that.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to turn this right back around at you again. And thoughts on the new chipper, chipper, I'm going to say EMHs that we see in this episode. What the heck,
2: man? (laughs) <laughs> you, you know this is actually would have been a perfect, you know, cameo for for the original EMH. Yeah, so would have been. Or the um, mature version. Yeah, or you know, either either one would have been really good. Um this just not the same, man. <laughs> it's just not the same. Yeah, it's like
0: they took the bad bedside manners of the original EMH and just made this guy super chipper. Super duper yeah. chipper. Heck, I would have I would have rather had Andy Dick's version of the uh, emh to have this guy. Yeah, like
2: why didn't I know that blinking trick uh, right then? Oh, <laughs> right. Well, 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 well,
0: well, we gonna get it. We gonna get into this blinking stuff because I think I got a theory behind that. Oh yeah. So they don't want to discuss the burn. We have theories, but we don't know for sure. No idea what the burn is. So basically. Um, Vance mentioned, mentions that there was no mention of discovery in the database, which we know why, judging from the last episode we got from last season, um, you know, pretty much erased it from the books. Nobody can talk about it. That made me think though, no one really knows about discovery, but there still have to be some people that know about the Mycelial network research, right? There's definitely people in the mirror universe that know about the Spore drive and stuff. I would think. I would think so. I don't know. I'm just my, it got my head reeling a little bit at a little bit as we started to talk more of the mirror universe and George o in this episode. But before we get to that, um, let's just go ahead and talk about these debriefs. We start these, these debriefs. And before we even get to that, we, we uh, Vance tells Saru and Burnham that the 30th century. Was spent fighting wars over the temporal cords or upholding the temporal cords, and their very presence there is a violation of the law. So he says, discovery is going to be put through analysis and a retrofit, and the and then the brief of crew and reassign the crew. Which I thought, what, what? So let's get into some of these debriefs. Any of the debriefs jumped out at you? I don't one in particular jumped out at me, but. Any thoughts? I'm just leave, leave that open to anybody. Any thoughts on these debriefs?
3: They tick me off. Oh, how so? <laughs> I, want, I want more of this. How so, sir? I, okay, so you know, this is, again, good writing on the behalf of the writers, because I care about these characters enough now to where I did not want to see them get broke up. Yeah. And so the idea, the concept of, even though they resolved it in the story, if that would have happened, that would have ticked me off. So, That's it. I guess it in a nutshell. I just didn't like the concept of look at all of what they've come through, and now you're going to do this. No, uh, -uh. that's going to tick me off. Yeah, just Vance being a jerk. Oh, dude, take me off of that.
0: (laughs) Any other thoughts on the debrief, guys?
1: So, and Clarence, I think you and I have the same theories, and probably going to have the same highlighted debrief. So I'll let you do that part, but I'll, I'll I'll add this. I like the debrief scenes because even though we were to, you know, get the feeling that our beloved crew were on the losing side, these debriefs, to me, show a strength in this crew that I think is going to carry them. Just an emotional, mental strength. Like every one of them, like pretty much if you had to say these debriefs were a battle, for instance, they want them, You know, when we go to Cobra's debrief, like he answered the questions, but like he was in control of that. You know what I mean? Uh, the uh, Stamets was in control of his debrief, like through his comedy and his little smitty humor. He was in control of it. Uh, Reno, she was in control of it. Just the way she like they all control these debriefs like. Yeah, you can ask me questions, but I'm running this show. You're just a hologram asking me the questions. And then we get to Giorgio's debrief, and that's probably a whole episode we're going to talk about. But, yeah, like, to me, that just showed kind of the strength and resilience of this crew. And, you know, even though they've gone through so much, they're still able to mentally hold it together.
0: Yeah, it it almost like it was the first step in their post-traumatic growth because, and, and the reason I said that is, They've been through so much. It's like, oh, a debrief? Whatever. Let's let's right. do it. Let's do it hologram debriefers. Let's let's have this conversation.
1: They're like I'm gonna blow you away with what I know. You wanna know what I know? You can't handle what I know.
0: Yeah, a guy killed I me, it. but we're good now. We're cool. You know, like, what? They've, been, they've been through so much, they're unflappable at this point, man. It's just great all around.
1: Yeah, that. I'm
2: starving. You got yes. some snacks. That was probably my favorite part.
3: <laughs> oh, and you know what's man. funny is at the beginning with her character, I did not like her, but she has totally grown on me as a character.
0: I, I agree with that. But for me, what solidified her as a character for me, I think it was in this episode, because initially I felt like her antics didn't really fit with the vibe of. What we had on the show before, it just felt a little bit too outlandish. Like they were forcing in comedy relief, but now you see like the chaos between, uh, he and uh, Stamets, Gen- Reno and Tilly. I just love it. I love the, the, um, the, the imperfection there of how they make things work regardless. You know, it's just fun. <laughs> it's just fun, man. But let's go ahead and dive into maybe the most important debrief. Of of this episode, and that's the debrief of Emperor Philippa Jojo. We learned that she has a caramedic strain at a sub subatomic level, some atomic level. At least we're told that's what all Terrans have, which we know they have the eye thing. So it's, I guess it's possible they can have this caramedic strain or whatever. So my fir- when when my mind first started to wonder that something might not be quite right with Philippa Jojo is the eye-blinking thing. And I'm throwing to you, John, but how how would she know that? How would she know that?
1: You know, I questioned that at first, and I kind of wrote it off to this was just a thing put in by the writers to make her just seem badass. Yeah, I, like, I, I don't know. I mean, there's no other way to explain it unless we're going to theorize a further plot here, uh, which you know, as we go further through the episode, it'll be more to add to that. But, I mean, it's hard to tell. I mean, by being... I mean, she was... What this episode reminded me of, and it's funny, and I don't know about you guys, but up until this point, I just kind of forgot that she was Emperor in the Terran universe. Like, I knew she was Terran. I that I, I didn't forget that. I didn't forget that she was a bad guy at one point, but I just forgot. Like, she she ruled the universe on in the alternate universe. Yeah. So... I'm sure they had holograms there, and I'm sure she figured out a way to beat them so that's kind of how i I justified it in my mind at this at this particular point of the episode.
0: Well, well, let's just throw all our theories on the table right now. I mean, I thought you know, of course we had a holograms in that era, of course, but we're like a thousand years in the future. You would think, well, she mentioned upgrades, but you would think that she wouldn't have that knowledge to do such a thing or that thing wouldn't work. Something so simple that maybe everybody should know at this point just by blinking your eyes.
1: So maybe everybody didn't know. Maybe that was just something known in the Terran universe. and
0: Possible. 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 It's just
1: nobody thought to fix it because it wasn't a problem in the Prime universe. Now, I'll take this, though. And uh, so on my second rewatch, uh, and I know we're going to get to this guy that's standing off to the side because there's theories about him, too. Uh, In the initial start of the debrief, she's looking at him the whole time and he looks at her. And this could just be coincidental, but he has like a series of rapid blinks. Interesting. Now, it could have just been him blinking. Where it could have not been, but right after that, she looks at them and starts blinking.
0: And and he's wearing glasses apparently for no reason.
1: Right.
0: Oh man, my mind is running. Could it be he's wearing glasses <laughs> because he is a hologram?
1: So he's not a hologram. But well,
0: do we do we know
1: that? We don't. But I think I think he's Section Thirty One.
0: I think that also so I, I had that theory definitely. I have section thirty one slash question mark written on my on my on uh, my notes here. I have Terranologist written down because he is apparently knows everything about the Terrans, which is suspect as well. But what made me kinda think so so I started to think that maybe Giorgio isn't George Huh? Uh Giorgio is Yeah.
3: Isn't. So No, no got, I
0: heard you, but I'm like so, Trying so, to process
3: what you said. So, so
0: we got the zoom in on our foot in the first episode back, episode two, uh, where she kicked down Leland. Uh-huh. And in this episode, the blinking thing was the first thing that threw me for the loop. So and she also has, she does something with the communicator. I guess you can write that off. She's smart. We know she's super smart. But that part at the end where she's just staring into the void right, uncontrollably. So-
1: that's where, like I said, in the initial part is I was just kind of, <laughs> of it off as the writers, just making her seem bad. Hey, but that particular part at the end started making me question, like, what is she? Who is she?
0: So, so we have a few things here. We have George O possibly being uh, Leland or Control, possibly, possibly, which we know is a section 31 thing. We have this interrogator glasses guy who. Definitely knows a heck of a lot about Terrans and seems to be like an expert on the subject. I'm thinking he possibly can be a part of section thirty one as well um and you know it's just just another theory that we have to <laughs> try to uncover because there's and definitely something behind this.
1: He's like super intelligent like yes. like he's pretty much controlling the conversation with Giorgio without yeah. her knowing it, yeah. And that is not an easy feat by no
0: means. So
1: and he's so calm about it. You know what I mean?
0: And then you have this other thing that uh, sent me thinking in another direction. We have this theory or I guess it's just proven fact that uh, so the glasses guy is is saying that there hasn't been a crossing from the mirror universe in over 500 years and that got my mind thinking of how is that going to play into the greater story if at all you know it seems like something they wouldn't say
1: mm-hmm. unless
0: it was important
1: or maybe he was the last crossing and like you said he's from the mirror universe and he's trying to get back
0: Or could the crossing had something to do with the burn I don't know
2: it's
3: hmm that's interesting alright well-,
2: <laughs> well I've got a separate theory about the burn but we'll get to that I'm sure in a little bit
3: you, you know what I find interesting uh, is that you guys have in the last couple of episodes, assume, not assume, but predicted or speculated that control is controlling, for lack of a better word, two different members of the crew.
0: Well, you know, I did think Detmer at first, but I think they definitely approve that. I think they proved that, you know, to be false. Uh, they kind of threw us for a curveball there with the the uh, post-traumatic stress thing. So I don't think it's her. Uh, definitely not at this point. But who knows? Um, but, but yeah, this, I I don't think we've seen the last control, man. I really don't. They even mentioned Ariel in this episode offhandedly when none leaves. So it's, they're throwing us in that direction, man. I I don't know.
2: I don't know. Well, now the, the showrunners have said that control is done. They have said that. Don't look at me like that, Jonathan. I'm just telling you what they said. (laughs) I hadn't heard that. I hadn't seen it. I thought you were going to tell us where you found it. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I've seen like several different like, you know, articles this week that talk, you know, people talking about the episode and like on the Facebook groups, and say, you know, the showrunner said that control is over with that. That storyline is done.
0: OK, well, we got some greater thing out there that we know nothing about, which is interesting <laughs> as well. You know, I'm not I'm down for that. But man, just something in my, in my gut. Tell me it's not the end. I hope it's the end. But who knows? Uh, so so let's let's get into the Discovery's first mission. Uh, In the future, well, the first official mission for Starfleet in the future uh, to go and retrieve a seed from the USS Tikov and and try to fix or try to heal this this dying race of people. Um, I really love this storyline. It really felt like a classic Star Trek episode with an ending, a pretty little bow. What did you guys think of the mission to the Ticoff? Any thoughts off the top of your head uh, from this entire mission?
3: And I'll start with you, Kyle.
0: What what did you think, man?
3: You know, I think it is something that I really like about Star Trek Discovery because it teaches you not to expect the same thing every week. Because, you know, even with Tasha Yar leaving Star Trek back in, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation, for the most part, you didn't have a character leave unless it was the end of the season, and then you know over the summer they left, et cetera, and so forth. With this, it's not written in stone that that character is going to be around, and I think that's really cool. So that that's my initial thoughts there. Yeah, definitely, um, John. What about
0: you, man? Any any thoughts on the tickoff mission?
1: Um, two thoughts. Number one, they keep throwing Michael in these command positions. So here's a theory as well.
0: Uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> there'll
1: be conspiracy theories. Here. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if she we all assume that she'll get command of a ship. And they made very they've made they made Voyager a prominent part of it. So maybe she goes to Voyager, maybe she gets to not that'll be cool. But uh, that's just a way off theory. But I just like the fact that we keep putting Burnham in this command position and she takes control like nobody's business. That was
0: awesome.
1: (laughs) Like, I love it. Like, let's show them. And we've seen that in the previews. Let's show them what we can do. But like, even still, even though I knew I've seen that before, it was still an awesome setup. Number one. Number two. I'm one of those curious people that like to know a lot about a lot of things that a lot of people don't like know about. So when they said there's this uh what's the name of the ship? Tikov or whatever. Tikov. Tikov. It's a it's a basically a seed storage from years ago. Like they're saving all of the galaxy seeds. So that immediately got me thinking. I remember reading the story and I had to go back and research it. then it took me down a whole nother rabbit hole. I won't go down. But, you know, we actually have that in the world right now. And it's in really Norway, isn't it? Huh? It's in Norway, isn't it? Yeah, it is in Norway. It's called Salvador, uh Seed Vault and basically call it the Armageddon Vault. But so every country, every sophisticated country has these vaults that they keep. They store different seeds that of plants that pretty much sustain humans on this earth, just in case some something happens that wipes it all out and they have to start over. Yeah. Well, the problem with that is what happens if this particular place is destroyed? So they came up, the Norwegian government, I think it's Norwegian, I'll have to look it up, uh, decided to build, and they did this on their own dime. Uh, on the tune of like $3 billion, built this vault inside the side of a mountain. Then it's built like 200 meters into the permafrost. Wow. So it'll stay cold. And every seed bank from around the world, and it's through a partnership of, I think, 48 different countries, uh, they all send from their seed storages locally, they also send a backup to this seed vault. Wow. And they, and they hold it. And this seed vault should last indefinitely. Like, right now they have coolers and stuff set to keep it cold and all that. But, I mean, it's also built into the permafrost. So, even if complete power goes out, it should at least survive for a millennia. Wow.
0: Like, is that <laughs> something fairly recent or is like a Cold War leftover or something?
1: Fairly recent. This was commissioned in 2001, I think. They wow. started building it like a few years before starting... Open it up in 2001. And there's a, a couple of documentaries and things to watch on YouTube. They're short, like 20 minutes to tell you about it. Um, anyway, it, it, so, and this, we've already had to use this. So, and I don't know, I can't remember the exact details of it, but Syria already used it. So Syria, probably 2005 or so, they stored uh, their seeds there. And this place operates like a bank. So basically, you deposit your seeds in there, a certain amount of seeds to this for them to hold. And in the case that you need them, you have to go, that country has to send a representative to to get those seeds back out on a loan. And they have a certain amount of time to replace them back into the seed ball. So when the Civil War broke out in Syria, their seed bag up there was destroyed. And a lot, a majority of this, whatever grain they use was destroyed as well. So they needed to replant these these fields. So they had to go back to Salivar and get a certain amount of seeds to re to start this whatever wheat field or whatever it was. Oh wow! So anyway, that got me down a whole. (laughs) But uh, so what's amazing, and hopefully, I mean, maybe their idea to put that in there so people get curious and maybe look that up and know that it exists. But just the fact that you know. We always known that Gene Roddenberry had a bright vision of the future. This is what he wants our future to be. And it's great that the discovery is carrying on with that. Like, they made that something important. Like, hey, regardless of what's going on, this is something we still need to do. This will save us no matter how advanced we get.
2: This is something we'll have to have. And just on a side note, I'm just looking it up right here. There's around 400,000 seed samples in there currently.
1: And that's in one room and they have three other rooms that can be filled. Wow.
0: Yeah, that that that's pretty amazing, man. I didn't know I guess I knew some of that, but I didn't know the details you guys provided. That's pretty cool though. Sorry um, to go off on a long <laughs> No, no, that's good information. Honestly, it's good information. I'm sure people listening are gonna love that as well. But but yeah, we see that play into this episode a bit where, you know, to save these people they have to go and find this one seed strand of seed that that is I guess has been diluted or polluted over the years so yeah all interesting stuff but when we get to the Tikov and we see this family there that are currently overseeing um the seeds on Tikov you know the, is Barzan which Barzan people which I thought that was cool for uh Nun who we see with that apparatus all the time she finally gets to take it off and be her normal self I thought that was pretty Pretty cool to see that, but unfortunately, there's an accident, and you have sort of like this holographic—well, go- not holographic—but transporter ghost that's kind of roaming, roaming the ship, and it's like a, a, a you know a classic transporter type accident that you have here where this this guy is half in phase, half out of phase. Which again, I mentioned earlier with lower decks, this is kind of what happens to uh, Boemler. Lower decks where he's kind of out of phase, so I thought that was pretty cool. And you know, it's not nothing new. We've seen this things like this on Star Trek before, but I like them going to a classic, you know, transporter accident to be an integral part of this story. You know, I guess to to ground this episode, it's uh, sort of in the classic style of Star Trek. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but but any any thoughts on I guess th- him being out of phase and you know this what I thought what what jumped out at me, I guess, is my theory on this CME, you know, this ion uh solar storm being a part of what causes the burn. Apparently I was totally wrong, but I was cool to see. It was cool to see how they used it in this episode at the very least. So any other thoughts on the t mission and, and Dr. Addis Ad, is it Atticus Addis, Dr. Addis, um, any thoughts on that and his family or, and maybe even on, um, uh, what what Kyle mentioned a little bit earlier, how non-state stays on the ship um, to to help protect it.
2: You know, I like I wanted to kind of piggyback on what Kyle said earlier. You know, when people leave the show is usually at the end of the season, or you know, this or like cast left like two episodes into the fourth season. So someone leaving in the middle of the season, it just it was almost a shock to the system. But I like that because it doesn't let you get comfortable. And yeah. it keeps you on edge, and it keeps you wanting to know, you know, well, who's going to still be there? who's who's next? who's who's leaving? who's staying? So I, I like that that idea.
3: Well, and on top of that, they have done a great job of keeping under wraps these changes like this, because I can remember back when they replaced um, Gates McFadden. That was all over, you know, back in the day when you read TV Guide, that was all over TV Guide that you're getting a new doctor on the next generation. And oh, then God. the next season, it was your, you know, Gates McFadden returns to, st- so you know what I'm saying? So Amen. it was a big deal. So you don't want Pulaski. <laughs>
2: we don't want Pulaski. I liked Pulaski. <laughs> oh, her- you would. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you? you <laughs> oh,
3: this: yes, I would have liked Pulaski if I had not have met uh, Beverly Crusher first.
2: That Yeah. I can see that. Right, yeah. Okay. But I like my doctors with a little bit of attitude. I don't like the good bedside manner and uh Pulaski country. reminds me of the cat on Lord X. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right about that actually. I like that. But I mean, see, I liked her.
0: <laughs> good, good point. Good point, man. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it was it was kind of sad to see her go. And one of the things that they that Nan bought up when she was leaving, I mentioned this earlier, but she mentioned Arium. And I had to go look it up. It was in a Project Dayless episode, and she was the one that actually hit the airlock to send Arium into space. So she actually killed Arium, I believe. So so yeah, it was it was cool to see her kind of uh book in book in her journey um on the show. And hopefully we'll see her again. Do you, you guys think she's gone for good? No.
2: All right. All right. I I mean, they did. They well, and, well. I, I say that because they didn't kind of plant any seeds for her to to come back or we'll see you again. You know, seeds. They just, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> see what I did there? But um, I, I just they did they didn't leave, they didn't seem to leave it open for her for her, her character to come back. They just kind of shut the door on that pretty tight.
0: Yeah, I agree.
2: So
1: what we did notice, and I noticed it before Burnham really said much about it, was this. Melody that the lady was singing to her child in the little holographic
0: image. Image, yeah.
1: And it sounded a lot like the cello music that uh, Todd was playing on the last episode. And then as we get further, we find out why that's important. But I, I think that's a big deal. Like I got a theory on the burn about that.
0: One. Well, let's hear the theory because I just don't see how that can play into anything. It's it's so random. I mean if we saw two people humming like the the uh, some Bowie song or whatever you know we would think it's that strange but is this piece of music that obscure that it rings that it has something more underlying with it being you know repeated by tall on her um bass. is it not a bass what a cello is a cello what is it what's her? Yeah, it's a cello, cello. I see i don't know nothing about uh Classic instruments, Artello, and, <laughs> and 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 this little girl hominid. So I mean, I, I don't know if I really get the correlation there, but but uh, John, do go ahead and maybe explain what your theory is.
1: Well, it's not a. I don't have an exact theory and facts, but like so, so Burnham's argument: How is it possible this many people this far away without warp travel have can get the same melody? So somehow this melody was introduced to a group of people and then passed along. Like this wasn't something that happened and then like your friend heard it and we suggested it to another friend. Like you're talking a big distance to travel with no warp ship capable ships. So that also means that this had to be passed down generationally. And for that same tune to be passed down generation generationally, and nobody really knows where it comes from. I'm thinking, like, since they had this big time travel problem, somebody that knew that tune traveled back in time. And, like, I, that's kind of where it, it kind of fills us out. But they traveled back in time to do something with a group of people, and it just kind of spread from there. And whatever they did back in time caused, caused this burn.
3: Mm. Yeah. Or you could just say that everyone just had the iPhone 950. <laughs> <laughs> it's in their brain.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I really hope it's something concrete. I really hope it's something real concrete versus something like the was the four knocks on Doctor Who. <laughs> I want it to be something that I want a concrete, logical explanation why it's through time and less and less whimsical. They're really playing it up, so it has to have some type of solid explanation, though, you know, I think they said we're not trying time traveling anymore either. So are the producers lying again there if if
3: that's going to happen? You're listening to music, so you can't say that silence will fall. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what did you say? Huh? You're the one that said Dr. (laughs) Who, so I had to go there. Yeah, I did. I did.
0: Any But any more thoughts on the the piece of music there, guys? I got nothing. All right. Well, we will go ahead and wrap this up unless any other comments or theories or whatever about the episode from you guys.
2: So I do have a theory. Yeah, let's because hear it, man. There's, there's two things that Michael's been worried about since they got to the future. What caused the burn and where's Mama? Mama burn. Us. So, yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm thinking since they hadn't found Mama yet, her trip back to the future got somehow messed up. And her, when she arrived back to where she thought she was going to be, it somehow caused the burn. And maybe Mama she was burned. the one
1: humming this song throughout the future trips she went through.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh man, it's, I just can't even think of that in my head how that would work. But it would be kind of cool, I guess, if that's the, the 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 what happened. I don't know, man. Um, I think it's kind of what I kind of theorized before that Burnham's mom has something to do with it. But at this point. I really don't know how that would happen, because part of the thing that kept her in the future is that she was tethered to 930 years or 950 years in the future, 930 years in the future. So what happened to cause it tether to break once she went back? I don't know. Um But that doesn't mean she can't keep jumping around. So I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> it's anything's on the table at this point, I guess. I guess that's what's exciting about it. I have no idea what's going to happen next.
2: You know, they've done a really good job of not letting letting anything leak out. So it's it's kind of frustrating and fun at the same time, just uh, not knowing what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, it's like every episode. Even though we see the preview, every episode pretty much has been a "What are you going to hit me with next?" You know.
2: Right. Well, that blew my theory out the water. Now what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I really like, and
1: Saru is continually continuously impressing me with his development as a leader to the point where there's a, a fleeting thought. Like, I think Saru could do a better job than this current Admiral right now.
0: Oh, hey. Oh. I see what you're doing there. Yeah. I see what Wouldn't you're, that be cool? So you're saying we may have an Admiral Saru and a uh-huh. Captain Burnham. Ah, uh-huh. I like it. <laughs> and I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> oh man, don't make me dream. Make me <laughs> but
1: still, like and I said it before, like Saru is exactly what we need to be the example of what the Federation should be, and what better position to be in than the leader of the Federation? Yeah. But you need someone like Burnham to make that happen, and what better place for someone like that to be than on a ship, the only ship that can travel long distances and get things done.
0: Yeah. And, and and you continue to see Burnham struggle with going by the book and, you know, holding back her tongue in some situations, you know, with her and Saru the Admiral um, on spe- speaking her mind, you know,
1: and, you know, Starfleet cap, no Starfleet captain has ever been just 100% by the book. Like the only way they've got things accomplished, they had to bend or break rules. Yeah. I mean Cisco yeah. even had a Romulan assassinated. I mean, not directly, <laughs> but <laughs> he had to live with it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. Cisco was a bad mofo though.
1: Man, that is my <laughs> boy. I love Cisco.
0: <laughs> All right guys. Well we're gonna we're gonna wrap this thing up. Um and before we go around the horn and get everybody's rating on the episode, we're gonna ask Cal to explain his opening high point of the episode. All right.
3: So here we go. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. So that's the, that's in reference to the beginning where they arrive at the Starfleet headquarters of tomorrow, basically, where opening credits are in flux. I've noticed this season that, for instance, David Ajala is not listed in the credits because he's not featured in this episode. Ooh. So whoever is featured in as primary in the episode the credits reflect that this season i noticed so that's where i get where opening credits are in flux respect my authority comes from several story points from Su- um, saru and burnham to the two of them with the admiral and willow so that's where that comes from or blink and you're gone Giorgio and the Holograms. Oh, okay. fair. And enough. now they're all dead. The family that Aww. was there. So head out the revolving door, which is the character that we were just talking about, that left. Yeah.
0: Oh, man. Now, way to he sum is, it up. Yeah. Way to sum it up. And with that, thank you, Cal. And with that, welcome, let, sir. let's go around a horn and get everybody's ratings. And let's start with you, Jeremy. What do you rate this episode, dude?
2: I'm going to give it a four point seven five.
0: Nice, nice. Any any comments on that rating, or are you just uh, going to stick with it as you just really love the episode?
2: I just I just really like the episode. This is this was a really good classic Trek episode, and it had a famous director as the uh, David Cronenberg as the uh, the man Philippa was speaking to. Oh, see, so oh, you know that actor? Yeah, he's well, he he directed The Fly and several other. He's kind of like a horror movie director.
3: Oh, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I had no idea. I should have looked them up. Cool. You know who he looks like? He looks a little bit like Peter Capaldi, who is a little bit, course, yeah, one of the doctors, and will be in the next Suicide Squad. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Well, Cal, let's let's go ahead and go with you. What, what is your rating on this episode? You know what? I think Jeremy had a good number. I'm going to go with four point seventy five as well for everything everybody else that has already said that's positive about this episode, 4.75. Jonathan, what about you, man?
1: You know, at some point, I'm going to have to go back <laughs> <laughs> and re-rate my episodes. And I mentioned this on the very first rating, very first episode, I did a five. And I my words were, I hate to do this because if I see something better, I won't be able to say that because there's no nothing better than five. So strong five. Five plus 5.95. <laughs> However, you want to put it, it was good. And in my opinion, the best yet. But I've already did a five. So this has to be another five.
0: Maybe we should transition to letters because then you can do A plus, <laughs> A minus. And... <laughs> or we could do like we
3: do on uh, discussing who. And just, like, for instance, I could have said, um, I'm going to give this 4.75 blinking out of existence holograms.
0: <laughs> oh, or tall strange men in glasses, I don't know. Um, yeah, but th- yeah, that's the fun we have on dark on um, discussing who we always give some weird um object <laughs> that that occurred in episode as our rating meter, which is a bunch of fun. Uh, but for me, I'm going to put this at 4.8 out of five. And I'll back that up by saying that just the what the visuals and the whimsy that we saw at the beginning of the episode when they go to Starfleet for the first time, that is that's part of what has to be in the back of everybody's head uh, or mind when we talk about going to the future and what that could mean. Now we didn't get to see a extended um example of that. We only kind of like just saw, you know, visuals, but I'm hoping this is just the first step to seeing more of those things as we go forward, you know, for the rest of the season, we're only five episodes in. So I just thought all of that whimsy was enough to get me hooked and just, you know, the interrogation was great. And we got in all of that, we got a classic Star Trek episode in that as well with, with the, um, with the, the tick off. So, Yeah, I just loved it all around. Set up many more mysteries, set up many more mysteries and didn't really solve any much, but, but that's part of, (laughs) that's part of what you get with discovery is a continued mystery and watching these things unfold. So yeah, 4.8 out of 5. So that's going to be it guys. And with that. Let's go around the horn once again and see what everybody has been into, watching, listening to, podcast related or otherwise. And I'll start with Cal Jones. What about you, man?
3: You know what? I'll make this real quick. Since I keep mentioning Doctor Who, I'll just point anyone listening who is a fan of Doctor Who to discussingwho.com. All righty. Jeremy Burrow, what about you, man? Podcast related or otherwise?
2: Um the new season of the crown came out this week, so the my first available opportunity, I'm gonna sit down and probably binge that. Um that's, that's all I got really. Just the work and living.
0: <laughs> so for me, somebody who's never watched The Crown, can you give me the uh short uh pitch for me to actually get into it?
2: So the 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 crown is basically telling the early years, especially the 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 first two seasons tell like, the beginning years of the reign of Queen Elizabeth, the current British monarch, um, with Matt Smith, who we all know as you know the 11th Doctor, as Prince Philip. And every two seasons, they change cast to reflect the older as they age and as they go to different time periods. The, basically, the history of Queen Elizabeth as queen.
3: Okay. All right. With Elizabeth Coleman playing the queen for season three, three and
2: four, Hope. yes.
3: Elizabeth Coleman. Uh, 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 I'm Olivia, Olivia, Cole. Olivia Coleman. I'm not sure I know
0: who that is. Oh, she yeah, was, I know that is. Uh, patient zero. Yeah. That's right. Now, if you said Jenna Coleman.
2: <laughs> no, with that, you something know, there's surprisingly, surprisingly not a whole lot of Doctor Who crossover with the exception of the doctor.
0: <laughs> well, that's a big one. <laughs> oh, but you said they change out the cast every year. So that's cool. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah,
2: every every two years they, they age them instead of like, you know, using prosthetics and makeup they get like a whole new cast in.
0: Interesting concept.
2: And I think Imelda, Imelda Stanton, who played Dolores Umbridge, is going to be Queen Elizabeth in the next two seasons.
0: And I will counter your um, suggestion by saying, go watch Victoria starring Jenna Coleman, which is freaking amazing. She's amazing. I love her. And that's my pitch. Word. <laughs> <laughs> Let's counter that with, with Victoria. It's a better show. Now, I don't know that to be true, but I love Jenna Coleman. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan, what is your what is your shout out for today? What podcast later otherwise? Oh, man. See what happens when you give me too much free
1: time. So I work (laughs) most of my life like I'm working or at the gym. That's all I do. So because of this procedure I had done, I had quite a bit of free time. So in those three days that I sit around and did nothing, I binged I signed up for Disney+, Plus, binged Mandalorian all the way to current. Oh, so, so good, so good. Yes, that is an amazing <laughs> show. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and I also, you know, I started Expanse a while back and put it down. Now I picked it back up. So I've binged probably a season and a half now. Right now, I say short of DS9, it's probably my favorite show uh, so far.
0: Yay, man. <laughs> it Expanse. Oh, Don't get me started on Expanse. Expanse is like the hardcore... Well, I'm not going to say hardcore, but the realistic as close as you can get probably version of space that I've seen. And I know they probably take liberties. It's not going to be perfect because some stuff in space we just don't know. But just to have these warring factions and the dynamic that plays and and this good sci-fi element on top of being in space that is kind of ruling how these Facts just interact with each other. Just um, good stuff, man. It takes a minute okay. to get into, but once you're into it, you're just like there for the ride.
1: You know, and that's that's what I found. Like the first season or so, like I watched it. And it was really good, but it didn't really just like hook me like I want to see the next one. But man, once I got into it and got going, like it got to the point where I had to force myself to turn it off and go to bed at three in the morning. <laughs> like I, because it'll get to the end and I'm like, I gotta see what happens next. I gotta see what happens. I gotta see what yeah. happens. And, that's amazing. So that I've watched, I'm doing. And also my last shout out, um, I've been on a whole audiobook binge lately and I'm currently listening to Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. Oh. Uh, if you, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows who Matthew McConaughey is. But also, if you don't know, he does a lot of not motivational speaking. That's not what he in, he's into. But he he usually puts out things, YouTube interviews or whatever, and it's just a lot of a lot. The way he looks at life and. How he approaches life is a great way to think about it, and a lot of what he says, you, everybody should listen to. I'll say that. And Green Lights is basically he he kept a journal for 37 years, and he's pretty much going back over that journal and talking about what he's learned and how he applied that to his life to be successful, and how his failures helped him be successful. So anyway, Green Lights, Matthew McConaughey is narrated by him, which is awesome. Uh, you definitely check it out.
0: All right. That's Green Lights um, narrated by Matthew McConaughey, as well as The Expanse. Jeremy had The Crown and Kyle had Doctor Who. And yeah, yeah, that's awesome. 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 Shout outs, guys. And that's going to wrap up the show. Um, Yeah. Oh, Victoria. Yeah, that was my suggestion. Check it out. But that's gonna wrap up the show. Thank you guys for listening. As always, you can hit us up on any of the social medias at Discussing Trek or fans at dis- at discussingtrek.com via email. And that's gonna be it, guys. So until next time, live long and prosper. Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreach.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff, from the Warp Zone Arcade, joins me to binge-watch and power-read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple
1: Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details,
2: visit realitybreached.com.
0: Discussing network.